Welcome back to another episode of Passing Judgment, a podcast about politics and the law and a lot of things in between. I'm your host, Loyola Law School professor Jessica Levinson. Today, we're joined again by Joe Armstrong, the producer of this podcast and the host of his own podcast, Independence Day. Today, we are going to talk about something that's very much in the news, this run-in altercation exchange between Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Representative Ted Yoho from Florida. And we're going to break down the conversation and use it to talk about broader themes, as Representative Ocasio-Cortez did, broader themes of gender dynamics and politics and elsewhere. So welcome, Joe. Hey, Jessica. How are you doing today? To another day, more breaking news from our seemingly increasingly dysfunctional Congress. It is the gift that keeps on giving. Tell me what happened between these two. A lot of people may have read about it, but what's your summary? Well, so there's a little bit of a he said, she said. What we know is that Representative Yoho came up to Representative Ocasio-Cortez and came up in a way that I would characterize as not a conversation opener, but more of a conversation ender. And she described it really as more of a verbal assault. And he said, I really don't agree with your views on crime in New York City, but he didn't use the words, I really don't agree. And apparently he was very aggressive. And the exchange or the kind of one-sided exchange, perhaps we should say, ended with him either saying um, bull blank or turning around and saying effing B-I-T-C-H. And Well, it may seem at first blush, like, does it really matter which expletive he used? We talked about this a little bit offline. I think it actually does because effing B-I-T-C-H has um, some obvious gender overtones that just saying bull blank doesn't. And so it really got us thinking about um, the position of women in politics, in part because Representative Ocasio-Cortez did something that I think is she really does very well, which is she took an experience she had and she made it more universal and she made it broader. So she went on the uh, House floor and she gave this very impassioned 10-minute speech that's gone viral, as so many of her speeches do. And she said a lot of really... Uh, personal and at the same time universal thing. She said, I'm glad that my father isn't alive to see uh, that I'm being treated this way. And she also said, this is an experience that a lot of women have had in the workplace where you're called names, you're degraded. Uh, What was also to me, she pointed out something that I've really had problems with for a long time, which is that Representative Yoho's kind of apology was, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I have daughters, of course, I'm very sensitive to my word choice. And her point, of course, was, you can not be married, you cannot have daughters and be very sensitive to your word choice and have not a sexist bone in your body. You can be married, you can have daughters, and you can be plenty sexist. So let's stop using that as cover for our views. Yeah, and I think an important facet here was that although the insults from Representative Yoho may have started out as being policy-based, he, I think he mentioned the word, you know, when in his non-apology apology, he said something about that he would not apologize for his passion. And although, yes, that that's true, it's good to be impassioned about the things that you believe strongly in. 
they turn very quickly. They turn very personal very quickly because to call someone the phrase that you used a second ago, which we're not going to uh, repeat on our podcast. We're trying to keep this uh, safe for moms around the world. Uh, that's a very personal thing to say to a woman. And I've heard many anecdotal reports from many women I know since uh, Representative Ocasio-Cortez made her speech in the House yesterday that they have heard the exact same words out of men in meetings in corporate settings. So that kind of brings us to this broader concept that we, we've been thinking about and talking about through the course of this week as the story plays out. And just a little bit of information for everybody, and this may be startling for some, but there are currently 26 women serving the United States Senate. Now, Ocasio-Cortez is, a, is, a, is in the House. We're going to get to that in a second. But 26 women in the United States Senate is roughly one-fourth of our total number of senators, which is 100. So 50% of the population, 26, you know, that's 25% of the, of the senators. Now, here's another little historical tidbit. There have only ever been 57 total women who have served in the United States Senate, excuse me, the United States Senate, and 17 of those were appointed. Now, that was something that even I found kind of interesting. Some of those even took the place of their husbands when they were uh, no longer on the, you know, serving. So pivoting to the House in uh, this year, 2020, there's 127 women holding seats in the United States Congress. That's 23.7% of the 535 members. That's slightly less than a quarter. So women are underrepresented. That's simple math that I can see. But, and, and they're still facing this kind of, let's call it discrimination. Am I wrong about that? So you're absolutely right that women are underrepresented in the political sphere, but not just in the political sphere. Look at boardrooms, look at law firms, look at many places of power. Women have made enormous strides, but there are still plenty of structural reasons why our elected officials don't look like the rest of us. And we should say, of course, it's not just that our elected officials don't look like us in terms of gender divide, but the same is true in terms of racial makeup. Uh, We decided to focus today more on the gender divide. And part of this is because women simply weren't running for office in the same numbers as men, and they still aren't. Um, Part of this is if you look at donors, oftentimes the donors are predominantly men giving money to men. That's changing. Um, We now have data that when a woman runs against a man, you know, if trying to control for a bunch of other factors, she has the same chance of winning. But women are certainly having to play catch up when it comes to representation in Congress, in the House, in state capitals, in uh, city halls. And, you know, again, the same is true for the private sector. Now, you know, people might say, well, let's just get the best person for the job, regardless of gender. And I absolutely understand that impulse. But what we know from really good uh, social science studies, political science studies, is that we tend to get, and it's hard to use the term better, but better outcomes when there's more diversity of perspective that leads to decisions. So it is still important, not just for psychological reasons, which are important enough, but it's important for real concrete outcome-based reasons to have a diversity of viewpoints when we're talking about um, issues that affect our daily lives. Now, Joe, as you know, I hate the term women's issues. I really think that we should use the term uh, like parental issues or 
uh, issues that affect senior citizens because women's issues is such a charged term. It really, you know, people use it to mean childcare. Of course, that's sexist in and of itself that, although true, that women bear the brunt of childcare responsibilities, you know, to talk about healthcare, to talk about a lot of different issues. But if you are making a decision, for instance, in Congress or in the Senate or in a state capitol on childcare, it tends to help to have people who've actually been the primary caretaker in the room. It, if you're talking about uh, wage discrimination, it tends to help to have people who have been subject to wage discrimination in the room. And that's really why uh, gender inequality matters, because it's better to have people in the room who've had that experience. Let us not forget that Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez herself was elected in the aftermath of some changes in our society with a lot more women running. And uh, to date, we've had only one woman at the top of a major political party presidential ticket, Hillary Clinton, in 2016. We all know how that played out. Joe Biden himself has pledged to nominate a female vice presidential running mate. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how those gender dynamics play out. It, it will be, absolutely. And, you know, some people looked at Vice President Biden's announcement that he would only select a woman and said, why would you box yourself in? And others said, well, it's about time because this is how these things happen. Somebody finally has to commit and say there will be a woman on the ticket. I think that we're probably at the point for a couple of different reasons that Vice President Biden will not lose votes, at least lose too many votes by having a woman at the bottom of the ticket, and that uh, he might actually gain some votes. I think what he's looking to do, of course, is to energize people because this race is largely about not Trump. You know, people, I think the first question is, are you going to vote for President Trump or are you not? I think part of what Joe Biden is doing is saying, um, don't just decide whether or not you like Donald Trump. Also look at me and I'm going to have a exciting and history-making ticket. Um, but it is significant that he's made a calculation that it's a bigger political win to put a woman on his ticket uh, than not. And it does show the strides we've made. I feel that you know, we can't leave this conversation without talking about another branch of government, which is the judiciary. And I'm always reminded of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's comment when somebody said to her, uh, you know, how many women is enough women on the Supreme Court? Because, of course, there's only been four women ever on the Supreme Court, and three of them are currently serving. And she said nine. And people, you know, kind of sit back for a moment and take a breath. And she said, for a long time, there were nine men, and nobody really thought anything of it. And she's making a point about, you know, what we're accustomed to. And this is not a point about degrading male judges, because there's absolutely no reason to do that. This is a point about getting more diversity of thought for the same reasons that we talked about in the political sphere. If you are ruling on cases that disproportionately affect women, um, or families, um, it is helpful to have somebody behind that, uh, the, you know, behind those marble halls who have had certain experiences. Um, and, and that's really, I think, what she's saying here. And it's something that 
I hope we all think about when our listeners are deciding uh, whether or not they might run for office, whether or not they might want to be judges, when they're looking at who to vote for. I certainly don't think anyone should ever vote just on gender, but I do, I have come to the point where I think we need to acknowledge that a diversity of perspective is helpful. Yeah, I would agree. There is strength in diversity, not weakness. And until women and minorities have a seat at the table, we won't actually know how things really could be. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. And kudos to, whether you love her or loathe her, kudos to Representative Ocasio-Cortez for turning this into a teachable moment for everyone rather than just heightening the drama. So uh, she handled that in a very, very professional manner, I think. She has a real gift of making her experiences, as we said, universal experiences. And I think that's partly why her um, messages often go viral, because she says, this is what happened to me. And and then fill in the blank. In this case, ladies, haven't you also had this experience? And that's really, I think, one of her gifts as a politician. But what we really wanted to talk about um, is not the fact that any conversation between a man and a woman has to be, uh, you know, has to call up issues of gender dynamics necessarily, but the issues that she brought up and what it means more largely for our political sphere, for the judiciary, for the private sphere. And Joe, I'm really grateful that you passed judgment with me and that we could talk a little bit about this really important topic. And I know we'll talk more about it as we move into the election. Certainly will, Jessica. Always glad to be along for the conversation. Thank you so much. You can listen to Joe's podcast, Independence Day, at indepthday.com. You can find Joe on Instagram at indepthday. You can find me on Twitter at Levinson Jessica, the show on Twitter at Pass Judgment Pod, the show on Instagram at Passing Judgment Pod. And we thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.